look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. You got Dave Popovich today. No Faisal joining me today. He's uh, he's on vacation again. He got home from a vacation. He did a vacation for his vacation. So I said, why don't you take a vacation and I'll handle all this. Uh, don't you worry about it. I'm just I'm just joking, of course. Faisal's the hardest working man in show business, except when he's on vacation. Did I mention he's not here today? Fantastic. Okay, we've got a good show today. Um, we're going to take a look at uh, the 2018 market. So are you interested in what happened? All, it created all that volatility at the beginning of this year. We started January real strong, and then, boy, February came in, uh, and we got a whole bunch of volatility that we haven't seen in a while. Why? Is that a precursor of something to come? What does the economic situation look like going forward? You want to stick around today? Uh, for that conversation, I think you'll find it interesting. Here a little bit about um, um, the first responders in Calgary, some very unique training <clears throat> that's being done to help them deal with uh, with people that are facing dementia, age-related disease. Um, as we talk about dementia a lot, I'm not going to uh, overdo that, but there is some unique uh, challenges that, of course, that faces uh, for people that are responding to situations where there's crisis and potentially uh, confusion. We've only got a couple of minutes before we get into it because I want to I want to really get into some detail with Miles Ziblock about um, current investment strategy in this environment. There's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, hmm, what should I say? I was going to say interest. That's not the right word. Refocusing. Uh, of people on their portfolios in the last couple of weeks. And that's only because we've been lulled into a false sense of security over two years. Two years, we've had almost no volatility. Last year, as an example, the deepest dip that we had on the S&P 500 was 2.8%. I think we've seen that one other time in the past 50 years. So I'll tell you what's not normal, that it goes straight up all the time. What is normal? Well, we're going to ask Miles a little bit about that. We had 11% sell-off in a little over a week on the S&P 500. Is that normal? You know, is that a precursor to something? What do the economics look like and what can we expect? I got to tell you, I think the 11% sell-off environment in any given year is a lot more normal than no sell-off and straight up for, you know, 18 months to, uh, to 24 months. But we'll get his opinion on that and we'll talk about positioning. So if that's the case going forward, uh, we've got low interest rates and uh, low interest rate environment. But rising, okay, we've got high valuations uh, in equity markets, and we've got volatility returning. Wow, that's a pretty powerful combination, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, a little bit about what that looks like. Uh, if you've ever been to one of our seminars, you know that I talk about risk being asymmetric. It's a heck of a lot harder to recover from a down um, than you think mathematically. It sounds an obvious statement. It's not mathematically. You need to be cognizant of that. And we're going to talk about that very thing at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, February the 2017th, uh, sorry, 27th, uh, February 27th, 7 to 8 o'clock. And we're going down south this time. We're going to be at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Give us a call at 966-8400 to register for that or morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, stick around after the break. We're going to talk to Miles Zyblock. We're going to try to get some idea of why all that volatility started in 2018. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Very fortunate today to uh, have Miles Ziblock with us. He's the chief investment strategist of Dynamic Funds, and Miles is a recurring guest on the show. 
And it's probably time to take a bit of a pause, a breather, and talk a little bit about some of the activity we've seen early in 2018 and maybe even a little bit about what we expect going forward in 2018. But first of all, let's welcome Miles to the show. Thanks for taking some time with us today, Miles. Hi, Dave. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate being on the show. Well, and your timing is, uh, is good for being on the show. It's been an interesting start to the year. And, uh, and <laughs> yep. maybe we're going to start our conversation uh, around that. Now, uh, let me sort of set the, 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 the framework, if I can. Um, volatility has been absent for probably two years, right? So a lot of people, I think investors, get have been lulled into this false sense of, uh, of security that things just kind of steadily go up with very, very, very mild little pullbacks. And then all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, I mean that's you know that that that's correct. Just you know, w- w- stop you right there because yeah. I, I think you know the incredibly unusual nature of the past couple of years has been the complete absence of volatility. Um, you know, if if you look through time, Dave, uh, going back, let's say fifty, sixty years, what you typically experience every given year is is a pretty sizable correction in the equity market, whether it's good years or bad years, of about 13.5%. So last year, we didn't even have, you know, basically, a th- or the last 12, 15 months, we haven't even had a 3 to 5% correction until just, you know, uh, a week or so ago. Yeah. So it, it really had been very abnormal to see this lack of volatility in the financial markets. And so I'm going to I'm going to take that and sort of put give you the narrative that when we're talking to people, um, say over the past couple of years, if you've been in a balanced portfolio, like if you in 2016, of course, were 100% invested in the TSX, you had a party, and if uh, you were smart enough at the end of the year to sell everything there and move everything into the uh, you know the the Dow or the S&P in 2017, boy, we had another party again. But if you were a, any kind of a balanced strategy. Um, many people feel they've missed that party. I call it FOMO, Miles, you know, this fear of missing out, right? Yeah. And it's, it's been building over two years uh, for people. Now, um, what we have, the conversations we have on a local level with lots of people in Calgary is this kind of this, this capitulation to pile on, right? How come we're not 100% invested in stocks now? And what could possibly go wrong? I'd really love for you to sort of address that on the heels of what you've just said from a strategy perspective. So, you know, you're absolutely right. People, you know, it's it's human nature to, I guess, to, you know, think of, you know, your next trade as is looking in the rearview mirror and saying, well, my next trade should be what happened in the last little bit. But I think what's more important for people to to do is to take a step back and really think about their strategic long-term goals, what they're trying to accomplish with their investment portfolios. And that really, you know, shouldn't change all that much from year to year. Um, Like you say, you know, because the last 12 months were, you know, the the markets went kind of vertical. Now you think, well, I I should have been there. But then look at then the last week when the market dropped, when the S&P 500 dropped 11% in a few days, then everyone goes, oh, my God, I should never, you know, invest in stocks ever again. And it's this flip flop thing. I think what you have to do is abstract or take a step back from these daily machinations in the market and say, what am I really trying to accomplish with my portfolio over the long term? Are my financial goals, are they, you know, can I reach my financial goals, given, you know, how I'm structured today. And obviously, your investment advisor can help you with that. But the whole point is, is that, you know, these short term blips here and there going either up or down shouldn't really change your strategic outlook. If you're 
you know, if you're a balanced portfolio, you know, if you have a balanced portfolio and you're looking for five to seven percent kinds of returns over the next several years, you should stick to that knitting. Uh, and, and just not get caught up with, you know, the daily or the weekly noise that's coming out of, you know, CNBC and BNN and the markets themselves. So, you know, that's my perspective. My perspective is to stay grounded, uh, to not let – because markets are volatile. They're, they're volatile both upwards and downwards. Um, but if you're looking, you know, if you have that sort of look-through vision, um, to look through the volatility, I, I, I don't really think that – the last week, the last month, the last year, the last three years should change your 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 plans in a significant degree. So I'm glad you said that because, uh, you know, Faisal and I maybe sound like a bit of a broken record here over the last little while talking about strategy and reinforcing strategy. And, you know, you've got to have the goals and build a strategy towards that. Um, and it's nice, you know, to sort of hear you go down that path as well. And I think I think investors generally need to be very, very careful about making a strategy change. So, for instance, if you're a balanced investor, Miles, and you decide, listen, I need to really ratchet up my equity exposure and take down my bond exposure, so you're not making a tactical change here, you're making a strategy change, you need to be very, very careful that you don't walk into those 10 11% drops and then experience something on the downside, a risk level, that you simply weren't prepared for. Well, I think that's exactly the case. I mean, you know, um, especially when it comes to the equity side of that balanced portfolio, we have to understand that equities are a very, very volatile asset class that the last, let's call it 12 to 15 months is very uncharacteristic of the behavior of equities through time. Uh, you know, 10, 15 percent you know, drops in the equity market are very, very common. You know, once a year, I said, over the last, outside of last year, basically once a year over the last 50 or 60 years. And so, you know, a balanced portfolio should should be balanced. I mean, if, if you're if you're trying to chase yesterday's returns, I think you're going to get, end up getting yourself in a whole heap of trouble because now you're starting to diverge from your long-term strategic discipline. So, you know, for me, if I have a strategic plan and I'm looking at aiming, you know, I'm worried about my retirement and my kids' education and, you know, paying for that and all these sorts of things, I don't think, you know, I should really be monkeying around with my strategic asset allocation all that much based on, you know, the whims of the market last week, last month, whatever. So I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you that that I think having a long-term vision is is critical to achieving investment success. Yeah, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. That wasn't really where I wanted to start the conversation, but it's been such an interesting series of conversations. And and here's the takeaway as we finish this particular point, and and then we'll move on. But um, what's abnormal is what we experienced over the two years in the absence of volatility. What is normal is what we experienced, you know, over the last two weeks. And I think it's important for people to take that away. So let's talk a little bit about that. So um, uh, the first little bit of 2018. So obviously, we hit uh, a bit of a a moment of volatility. Um, Maybe you can explain to us, back it kind of up, explain to us what started the nervousness here in the markets. And then we can build on that as we look forward uh, into the rest of 2018. 
Sure. That's, you know, when, with, with the benefit of hindsight, you always sound like a genius. Yeah. So um, I, I'm going to help, you know, I'm going to uh, pat myself on the back here and say I sound like a genius. But I think what was really going on, it started a couple months ago or a few months ago before the correction really took hold, is that is that if you looked across the fixed income universe or the bond markets around the world, they started to sell off or weaken in price, which means that bond yields were starting to rise. And in fact, bond yields were rising rather rapidly. So over a very short period of time, say the 10-year bond for the U.S., so 10-year Treasury bond and similar in in the Government of Canada bond market, we were up about 40 basis points uh, or close to half a percent uh, in, in a very short period of time. Now, why were these bond yields starting to rise? I I think that bond yields around the world were starting to rise because uh, there was growing indication uh, that maybe we're, you know, at the early stage of a bit of a pickup in inflation. So both, you know, in inflation in in both in in all actually in all the major developed markets, we're seeing a little more inflation. So the bond market was, you know, becoming respectful of this risk of rising inflation. So they started to uh, bid down the prices of these bonds and bid up the yields of these bonds. And then it got a little unruly in the sense that bond yields really started to ratchet higher. And what that does to equity investors is it makes them start worrying about future growth in the economy, future earnings growth, and it makes them worry a little bit more about the price they're paying for for the equities. And so, you know, you have a little bit of valuation concern and a little bit of earnings growth concern because bond yields or interest rates were starting to rise rather rapidly. And I think what that did is that started um, a cascade in the stock market. So the stock market was sort of complacent, as we talked about, in terms of, you know, there was just absolutely no worries in the world. Earnings is great. You know, everything's great. Um, We don't have to worry about central banks, you know, getting crazy and tightening too much. And um, so that's when we had the rapid ascent in stock prices. And yet, you know, the bond market was starting to tell us maybe there is a little bit more to worry about here, at least at the margin. Um, And so I think those concerns in the bond market about inflation started to feed into the stock market. And that's where we got our weakness. So that was step A, where we got some of the weaknesses because of inflation fears. But then that started to feed on itself because I don't know if, if, if everyone's read about the stories about these derivatives or these fancy uh, products in the stock market called volatility contracts. Right. And that's trade. You can actually trade the volatility of stocks through these contracts. And, and effectively, there was some, let's just call it some blood in some corners of the markets that started to appear as a result of these derivatives contracts on volatility. And um, so that this, sort of, this thing sort of snowballed on itself. And, uh, you know, we, we heard some of these volatility ETFs, as they're called, uh, basically had to shut down as a result of what went on. And I think that that added just to the eeriness that people were feeling about what was going on in markets. And and this is, again, over a very condensed period of time, over, let's say, uh, a week. And and in that week, because of concerns about inflation, because of the fast sell-off in interest rates or bond markets, and because of then the spiraling or the cascading effects as a result of these volatility uh, contracts or derivatives or ETFs, um, we got this sort of perfect storm for the stock market. And, and again, in blink of an eye, it was down 12%. 
Okay, uh, let's leave it on that. If that's not a good tease to stick around for the, uh, you know, for the next segment, uh, we've got to take a break here. But I do want to encourage you to stick around because we're going to ask Miles a little bit about how to position going forward, knowing what we know now and what is his 20, uh, 2018 outlook. So uh, stick around for that. But before I uh, take a commercial break, I want to remind you that we're going to talk about bulletproofing your retirement. Volatility's back. Uh, it's important through proper structure, as Miles said, proper strategy with a long-term goal in mind to position to ensure that your lifestyle doesn't get affected, affected when this volatility creeps back up. So if you want to join us for our presentation on Tuesday, February the 27th at 7 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits, give us a call at 966-8400 or go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You're here with Dave. No Faisal today, but we've got a terrific guest that's carrying over since the uh, the break. We've got Miles Ziblock, who's the Chief Investment Strategist of Dynamic Funds. We talked a little bit before the break, Miles, about um, you know why some of this volatility has crept up, that it's in fact normal, um, and understood a little bit about what's creating it. Now, let's take a look forward uh, for this particular segment and talk about proper positioning. And maybe keep in mind that... Um, that uh, I'm really interested in not just in the overall macro environment that you see, but I'm interested in positioning particularly for clients who are a little bit older. You know, you're transitioning to, you're living into retirement. You're really nervous about volatility because this, your savings have to support your lifestyle over time. So in the context of that person, Miles, let's talk a little bit about what do you see for the rest of 2018 from an economic perspective? Economically, I think things are looking pretty good. Um, so whether you're you're talking about developed, you know, developed economies like the U.S. Uh, or Europe or Japan or even the emerging markets, we're, we're seeing some pretty strong and synchronized economic growth around the world. In fact, you know, if we look around the world today, about 95% of every country on this planet has positive GDP growth. So the economies are growing, and they're growing pretty much everywhere. And this is probably the you know the period of time we've seen the strongest, or, or the str- the period of time where we've seen the strongest growth in at least a decade. So you have you have good you have good economies. Uh, that, there's no question about it. And what that's translating into is strong corporate earnings growth. So whether we're talking about Canada, and you know the latest data out of Canada is is earnings for the TSX companies are up something close to 20% year on year. We're seeing something like 15% earnings growth in U.S. stocks, and we're seeing growth, you know, and pr- pretty much earnings growth everywhere. So that's that's really a good environment right now for you know the stock market, and and, um, and we're seeing that in corporate earnings, and we're seeing you know record amounts of share repurchases mm-hmm. by corporations who've just announced a boatload more share repurchases. And we're also seeing dividends being increased at a, at a pretty good pace. So again, all of this is leading to a fairly positive environment for, uh, for investors in equity markets. Now, what I would like to say is that, you know, if you're a little bit older, obviously your allocation to equities is going to be somewhat lower than, say, you know, uh, a 25 or a 30-year-old. But um, what what I would say is that, you know, in that equity allocation, um, you – you know, a lot of people have focused on on just dividend yielding stocks, and I would say that you have to re- rethink that because if we're in the situation here where bond yields are con- going to continue to rise and rise and rise, um, that those dividend yielding stocks that don't really have a lot of earnings growth, those are susceptible to the rising bond yields that we're seeing around the world. So safety. 
you know, what was safe 10 years ago or five years ago or three years ago may not be considered safe going forward. So what I would do is have a little look at those, you know, those stocks you own those income-producing stocks you own and say, you know, one way to get a good total return is, yes, you know, dividend yields, but don't rely solely on dividend yields. Rely on what we call uh, dividend-growing stocks or stocks that may not have, you know, a 5% dividend yield, may, may have a 3% dividend yield, but continually grow those dividends over time. So they're called dividend growth stocks. And what that does is that really provides some security or that growth is an offset to the rising bond yield. So again, you know, I would say don't be scared of equities in the sense that, you know, this is probably there's no recession coming, at, at least what I see over the next 12 to 18 months. So hold on to your equities. But you know, if you are really focused on those yielding companies, maybe think about dividend growth a little bit more than dividend yield. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. One of the surprises for me in 2017, particularly in the U.S. market, is we got earnings growth. We were expecting, again, strong earnings growth. Um, but the P.E. ratios, uh, uh, you know, we're at maybe at the high end of fair value, some would say. Um, when you say we're looking at, you know, 15 and 20 percent earnings growth coming from companies, um, does that immediately translate into fifteen to twenty percent growth in terms of the the uh, their capital base, the stock, the stock values? No, it does. That's a great. No, it doesn't. Um, so when you think about a total return, it's really uh, it, it, you have to add up two components. So one comes from earnings growth, and then one comes from how how much you're willing to pay for that earnings growth or the valuations in the market. So let's just say that you know earnings growth is ten percent, but people want to pay five percent higher five uh, percent uh, higher price for those earnings. Then your total return becomes your earnings growth plus the change in valuation, which is fifteen percent. Now it can go the other way too. Like as you rightfully sort of point out, we are at the high end of valuation ranges, and I suspect that you could get, you know, the risk here is a little bit of valuation compression, meaning that uh, the, the price to earnings multiples in the markets, you know, there is some risk that they, are, they flatten out or they go a little lower. So if you get 15% earnings growth and you get some, you know, you get some valuation compression, you're not going to get 15% out of the stock market. So uh, again, that's that's really important for people to think of that just because earnings are going up a lot, it's not just earnings that matter, it's earnings and then the the willingness people are are are, are you know, going to pay for the for a dollar's worth of earnings. So if that sort of deteriorates, that can go against your earnings flows and and kind of weigh on total returns. So again, it's a it's a it's a picture you have to think about. Where where are valuations? Yes, they are high. Where is earnings? Yes, it is strong. So you know, we're not in that low valuation, strong earnings growth environment we were in several years ago. Right. We are now in a still a strong earnings environment, but we now are facing steeper valuations. So again, that's a little bit more of a, a risk you have to consider when you're thinking about equities. And, and one of the ways to mitigate that risk is look again through your portfolio. And not only about when I brought up dividend growers is one way to mitigate risk against rising interest rates, but think about the valuations you're paying for those companies too. And, and you know, the lower or the cheaper stocks, I think, have a little less embedded risk in them today uh, than they would have otherwise, because, you know, people are getting a little more concerned about where valuations are going. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about this rising interest rate environment that you're talking about, the, perhaps even, a, you know, a potential synchronization on, you know, of uh, 
sort of re, uh, reflating uh, central bank policy, monetary policy. But um, what do you see for bonds then in an environment where we expect rates to be going up? Well, you know, I, I expect, we're, you know, when you have a little bit higher inflation, right now inflation is, is still low, but it's creeping a little higher. It's still very low historically. I mean, we're below 2% in most, most economies around the world uh, where the inflation rates are, but we're, we're moving towards 2%. And, and the, the problem for bonds, uh, for, for the bonds, is that they were not really priced for pretty much any inflation. Uh, so they are having to readjust that outlook. And and as a result, you know, prices are weakening in the bond market and, and the yields are going up to compensate for that inflation risk. So, you know, where do I think bond yields could go? Well, let's, let's take today the 10-year government of uh, – the 10-year the bond in, say, the U.S. That's sort of the benchmark for the world. Yeah. It's trading at, I guess, 2.9%. That's the yield uh, for the 10-year bond. Could it get to 3.5% in 12 to 15 months? I think, yes, it could. But then there's going to be sort of a limiting aspect to how much these bond yields are going to creep higher. Because firstly, I don't think that inflation is going to be runaway. I just right. think it's picking up from a low ebb. So, so you know, that's going to limit the amount that these bonds are going to sell off. But at the same time, when you have, you know, bond markets around the world that are, that are yielding nothing, like in Germany or Switzerland or in Japan, uh, and you're a global investor, that, you know, you can only get – North American yields going so high before everyone in the world goes, oh, my goodness, those are, those are really attractive. So they come pouring back into North America, and that's going to limit the amount that yields are, it can go up, too. So the foreign investors coming into our markets as yields rise will limit it. And I also just, like I said, I don't think that uh, inflation is, is really going to be a super big problem. It's just that you know, so, so so the point is, could we get you know fifty to seventy-five basis points higher in these longer duration bonds over the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, I think so. But you know, if you're thinking we're going back to seven, eight, nine percent yields on these long-term bonds, I I don't think that's where we're going at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what should I do next? There's a couple of things I want to ask, but we're running out of time. Maybe um, I could get your assessment of a um, just a base case sort of positioning. So if you're you're that person that's, uh, you know, trying to de-risk the portfolio, getting a little closer to retirement, you're living in it. Um, what, what kind of allocation would you traditionally have if a, if a traditional balanced portfolio says sort of 60% stock, 40% bonds? Well, you know, it, it, let's say we're, we're 10 years away probably from, from retirement, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of age we're, we're considering. Um, one, one of the issues is that is that it's going to be hard to well, – there's two things. One is return and one is preservation of capital because yeah. you can always get hit by unexpected events. So, you know, the, the problem with, say, a, a 60 or even a 50-50, uh, so 50% stocks, 50% bonds, the problem with that is, is you know, the bond portion doesn't yield – doesn't give you anything. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, part, that's the hard part. Yep. Um, and you can get some of that, you know, some of that income, like I said, through dividend growth stocks. So for me, it would probably – be closer to, given the nature of, of bond valuations, given where we are in terms of the ec economic cycle and sort of the one to three year outlook, I still think you should probably be more like 55% equities uh, and the rest in, in some sort of laddered fixed income strategy or, or something to that effect. And, um, 
and, and, and that's kind of where I am. And, and when you're closer to retirement, like I say, you want total returns and, and some of that to be income. Um, and, and so a dividend growth strategy on the equity side is, is sounds pretty sensible to me right now. Um, and it's, it's a good way to augment that total return of that portfolio. So for me, it would be more like 55, you know, percent um, equities, the rest in fixed income and, uh, and yeah, and, that's, that's and I'll throw our compliance disclaimer, disclaimer in there. I mean, obviously, this is uh, that's just a base case. It is not a recommendation. Anybody in oh, particular, goodness, no. you have I mean, to take. Every in. individual has, yeah, every individual has their own uh, risk. Uh, you know, the risks and their goals and, and things like that. And and you know, I don't know uh, how everyone is invested in equities. I mean, if if that fifty five percent was in you know the TSX Venture Exchange, I, I'm not sure that would be the right <laughs> allocation for anyone. So you know. Um, uh, so, so needless to say, it's right to say that that's just kind of a, you know, a general thought. It's not applicable right. to all, all people. Right. And directionally, uh, directionally what, uh, what Miles is saying is that it is an environment where he would be slightly overweight stocks to bonds in a traditional environment. And then there's a whole conversation, Miles, you and I, and this is not a conversation for today, talk about the alternative space and what you can do there. Um, right. in terms of replacing some exposure in both stocks and bonds there. Listen, uh, we have to leave it there, and I know it doesn't do justice in the 20 minutes that we have to, to go through this, but I want to thank you for trying to get us uh, refocused on what we've experienced in the first part of this year and kind of globally what we're looking at going forward. Appreciate all your time. Well, it was a fantastic chat. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. We've been joined by Miles Ziblock, Chief Investment Strategist for Dynamic Funds. After the break, we're going to talk about first responders uh, and we're going to talk about some training, unique training that they're getting and dealing with uh, particularly Calgarians that are getting older and facing some of those potential problems that we face as we age. Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money here with Dave today. No Faisal. We're going to talk about, you know, we often talk about actually uh, health issues as part of our health bucket conversation. And unfortunately, um, we talk a lot about uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, and the impacts of that disease. But, you know, what we don't maybe do is talk a lot, a little, uh, a lot about the impact of that on the people around them. Certainly, we have talked about family. But an interesting, um, you know, there's an interesting article that I read talking about Calgary firefighters and how they're getting some hands-on lessons on uh, learning to live with dementia, looking for signs, and these kinds of things. thought it would be an interesting piece to do on the show. And to help us understand some of the training that um, the Calgary firefighters are getting, we've got Mike Conroy. He's the president and CEO of Brenda Strafford, um, the, uh, Brenda Stratford Foundation. Excuse me, uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Pleased to be here. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about what the Brenda uh, Strafford Foundation is first, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing with Calgary's first responders. Okay, great. Yeah, we've been uh, providing support for seniors in the Calgary community for over 40 years, but in the last uh, planning process, we've, we're looking at, okay, we have facilities in communities, but how do we make those facilities part of communities mm -hmm. and actually use our resources to support people to live at home as long as possible? So when we looked internationally, we found a good examples in from the United Kingdom and Australia, something called dementia-friendly communities, right. which is really around building community capacity to help people with early dementia to stay in their homes as long as possible. And so that was really the genesis. We are doing this on behalf of the province to develop a blueprint or a toolkit. So at the end of this process, anybody, any community in Alberta could take this, um, this process 
and de develop a dementia-friendly community. Well, you know, I, uh, I support you in all the efforts and the work you're doing, and we look for great outcomes. Um, both myself, one of my partners, Andrew, here, families have been touched by dementia or are touched by dementia. So more and more, of course, people we talk to, this is uh, unfortunately becoming a reality of our lives. Um, I am interested in the work that you're doing, however, with um, with the first responders. Uh, I imagine that, you know, as this this notion of dementia um, increases, uh, that, you know, the, the first responders are going to be facing more and more of uh, that situation and well, and it likely takes some special training and skill sets to deal with that. So maybe just give us a, a very high level to begin with, what kind of training you're doing with, uh, with Calgary's first responders. Well, it, yeah, there's really two levels of training, but the fire department, Calgary Fire Department, has been incredibly receptive and proactive with this because, as you just said, they are first responders, yeah. and the prevalence of dementia is going up. And it's important for people that interact with people with dementia that have an understanding of uh, and how to recognize when those behaviors present themselves because it's 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 a little bit foreign for folks. Sure. So. The, uh, the Coach Hill Fire Department is really, you know, they've got in-person classroom-style training, so they've had, and simulation training with some quite in-depth. But moreover than that, the, um, the Calgary Fire Department have, is now providing training to 1,400 fire, uh, fighters over the next two months, which is incredible. And so even though we have two demonstration communities that we're focused on for, for the dementia-friendly communities, uh, demonstration project. They've uh, embraced this and adopted this and spread this far beyond the demonstration communities, which I think is just uh, tremendous and, you know, very uh, enlightened of them to recognize this and to provide the training for their staff. Well, I think so. And, and you know, just to give a bit of a scale of, of uh, and scope, the size of this problem uh, in the article I was reading, you know, mentioning that uh, over the next 15 years, the number of Calgarians uh, living with dementia or suffering from dementia is going to double. Correct. Uh, and I suspect if, you know, dare say, if you look beyond the next 15 years, um, if, you know, there's any correlation between age-related, it, it get, it's getting worse, not better. Um, and so I think it's absolutely critical that we're doing these things. But I'd like to know a little bit about what's the experience of the training like? Like, how, how do you train the first responders uh, to look for signs of dementia and how to handle somebody who perhaps is suffering with that disease? Well, again, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said, look for signs. So what type of behaviors manifest themselves in terms of people being presenting as being a little bit confused, mm -hmm. not understanding the communication, and then how to uh, deal with that and uh, communicate in a way and be sensitive to the people that have uh, early dementia, so you're actually being effective in communication without recoiling and saying, well, this is so foreign to me, I don't know how to manage this. And then that can actually manifest itself in frustrations with the person with dementia. They would sure. sometimes act in ways that are unexpected, and then, again, the first responders may not be equipped to manage that. And we also do some simulation has put the first responders in situations where, you know, their acuity and some of their sensory uh, abilities are limited, so they get a feel of what it's like to be in those shoes. So both of those uh, aspects, I think, are, have been very helpful in enhancing the um, first responders' knowledge and sensitivity to uh, folks with dementia. I'm curious to the extent you could share with us, like when you recreate, you know, sort of what dementia feels like. I imagine when you're doing some of these simulations, you will have, you know, you'll impair the uh, the senses in in some way of these individuals. Can you share any stories with us? Like what, what does that look like? And um, some of the feedback maybe that you get from some of the first responders in terms of what, uh, you know, how difficult things can be. Yeah, and a lot of that is around sensory. So we hear some earmuffs. We, uh, we 
put some gloves on that, that uh, limit some of your tactile abilities, ability to manage things, uh, put some restrictions on sight, for example. So and it's really to a little bit to confuse the senses. Yeah. And the feedback is actually very powerful because, again, it's a whole new appreciation about some of the limitations that people people uh, have when they have dementia or, in fact, other uh, diseases associated with aging. So we've done this with first responders. We've done this with businesses in the communities, with students in the communities, volunteers. And I just have to say that, you know, the community response to this, and you you pointed out in, in right at the beginning, so many people have either friends or relatives that have some, you know, exposure to dementia, that the interest has been overwhelming. I've been in the health system a long time creating new services. I've never seen such a grassroots positive response to an initiative as I've seen with this one. Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's amazing that it's happening. It's unfortunate that we have to do it because of the circumstances under which we have to do it. But, you know, we can't bury our head in the sand either. We know that this is... um, you know, this is becoming an increasingly big problem. I, you know, I, I find it interesting, although you were talking about the first responders, and you did say it's a more, you know, this is, this is broad-based education. It's, this isn't for, you know, just for uh, firefighters and first responders. I was doing uh, some education around dealing with older clients. In our practice, we deal with older people and did some of those similar exercises, Mike. And I have to tell you, when, you know, you, you, you muffle the way you hear as an example, uh, and then you have a conversation with somebody, and then you have to repeat it back. What we hear can be very different from what's said. And so right. how, how you have to communicate and interact with somebody, forgetting about uh, even dementia for a second, where you add on confusion and so on and so forth, I think is a very interesting um, hmm, awareness. You know, you'd call it training, but an, an awareness exercise that uh, a lot of us can do just to, um, to better interact with people who are facing, you know, that kind of a, of a situation or, or disease. Where do you hope this training goes? Well, again, we've done this this type of training with uh, the first responder groups, with some of the, some of the police, with uh, businesses, ATBs, taking uh, this yep. on a provincial basis, which is great because you know interacting with people that come to their, uh, their their banking institutions, they want to be helpful. We did actually we did a recreation of that at uh, at our launch in Signal Hill community. So again, what we're doing is developing this. Uh, so what we're calling a two toolkit or blueprint based on our two demonstration communities, and then Alberta Health, or sorry, Alberta uh, Housing and Seniors and Alberta Health are both supporting this. We've put in resources, and then we're developing a, as I said, this toolkit. So no matter where you are in the province, you've got now a process with how to engage communities, the education components, uh, the evaluation measures, etc to, again, help people stay in the community with dementia as long as possible and feel safe and supported, which is really key. And education is a key part of underwriting that sense of uh, both safety and support. Yeah, true that. So before we sign off here, if anybody is listening that's interested um, for their organization, personally, whatever the case may be, how can they contact you? Well, they can go on our website. So we're uh, www.thebsf.com. Uh, .ca. Uh, there's various ways to uh, de- the Dementia Society here in, in Calgary, but I think the website would be a first, uh, first uh, point of contact, and then we can help people uh, navigate to the right, uh, right resources and right supports. That sounds wonderful. I want to thank you, Mike, for taking some time with us today. Okay, great. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. So we've been joined by Mike Conroy. He's the president and the CEO of the Brenda Stafford Foundation. Um, 
Clearly, again, uh, you know, this, the, the, the training, the education goes beyond just, uh, you know, just the firefighters. As I said, I've done some of this myself. As our community ages, as that demographic, our population ages, not just with dementia, uh, just with the changes, the natural changes that take place. This is all, uh, I think, very fascinating and interesting stuff. And kudos to Mike and his, and his gang for doing that good work. Now, we are going to be talking about this, uh, this process of, of aging and transition, if you will, uh, at our seminar. Now, our next seminar is coming up on Tuesday, February the 27th. It happens at 7 o'clock. It's a one-hour presentation, 7 to 8 o'clock. We're going to be down south with our friends in uh, southern Calgary, so Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits is going to be the location. You need to register for that. Give us a call at 966-8400, and we get you a seat for that. Now, as usual, we're going to talk about the process of transitioning into and living in retirement and from a lifestyle perspective, Not um, not just money. But it's got it's more than money. That's why we named this show more than money. This is a this is a, uh, a complicated transition, certainly from a financial perspective. But then when you layer on all the other layers of of, uh, of complication, of potential complication, including health, it is a very fascinating period of time in your life. And let's face it, we've all worked very hard, or all of you transitioning to have worked very hard to get there. And we want to make sure we maximize that as best as possible. So we look forward to seeing you on Tuesday, February the 27th, between 7 and 8 at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine Spirits Beer, if you could make it. And before we sign off on today's show, I just want to remind you that you can access any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money, uh, More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.